This is the On The Touchline Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Broadwater. Welcome to the show. The club that I coach for had a coach's preparation meeting uh, not that long ago, and I showed up to the meeting with my Duke Tig brand notebook. I had a number of fellow coaches some that I know uh, well and some that I don't, ask me, where did I get that notebook? Go to duketigbrand.com, D-U-K-T-I-G brand.com. And upon checkout, use the promo code BROADWATER19, B-R-O-A-D-W-A-T-E-R-1-9 at checkout. So I had my Duketig brand notebook XL with me that night. It has fields already lined, place for notes, and a place to keep all your thoughts in one place. Can't swear by their product enough. Go to dotigbrand.com and at checkout, use the promo code BROADWATER19. If you spent any amount of time in the football or soccer community, you know that football or soccer, it's really a lifestyle. I've become incredibly fascinated by the supporter culture that many clubs have. And in some cases, the lack of supporter culture that many clubs have. So in this case, this is probably one on the more extreme end, in a good way, of what supporter culture can look like for a club. So I've mentioned this on social media that I have watched the We Are LAFC docu-series on ESPN Plus, and I really liked it. I've liked the other ones on Man City and Sunderland and Juventus and some of the other ones that are out there as well. I think they've all been pretty good and they've all been pretty different. So in particular, one of the things that I liked about We Are LAFC is getting to know who the 3252 are. And so if you're not familiar, they are the official supporters union of the Los Angeles Football Club. So I thought that this podcast exists to make the soccer world smaller for you, the listener. And in the past, we've given you plenty of coaches, an occasional player, uh, that sort of thing. And this week's episode really focuses on what I would define as the influencers in the game. So if you've ever watched any LAFC match, you know that it rivals what you would see at Borussia Dortmund or other clubs in Europe. Uh, some in the Bundesliga, some in you know other leagues uh, in that part of the world. They're waving flags. They have smoke. They're constantly chanting. They're jumping up and down. And while, you know, living in Pittsburgh is hard to have an MLS team that I identify with, it sounds weird saying this, but I probably most identify with LAFC just because of the supporter culture. And I found it absolutely fascinating. So we had the chance, John Townsend and I, to talk to Mauricio Facio, and he is the vice president of thirty of the 3252. So 3252 is comprised of no less than nine smaller supporters groups. So Mauricio actually comes from the District 9 Ultras, and he'll explain who they are and, and what they're all about in this episode. I hope you enjoy just a glimpse behind the curtain in terms of what working with a pro club and being a supporters group looks like and sounds like. Enjoy this conversation with Mauricio Facio from 3252 of LAFC. Um, I was mentioning in sort of our, our pre-chat that how I got interested uh, in 3252 uh, was from the We Are LAFC uh, docu-series on ESPN+. Plus. Mm -hmm. And 
I'd mentioned to you that there were two things that really stood out to me uh, as a viewer uh, of the you know docu series. That um, one, the passion of the supporter base was unbelievable or is unbelievable. Um, so take that, LA Galaxy. And, <laughs> and we, call him, we call him Carson Galaxy. Actually. <laughs> <laughs> well played, well played. <laughs> Uh, and just how crazy Bob Bradley is, uh, as a manager. And, um, I would love, he, he's one of the people that I would love to interview. So John put that on our list of, uh, people that we'd like to talk to, you but, um, list. <laughs> I, I think it's important for folks that maybe aren't familiar with 3252, uh, to know about your origin story and really sort of how it came into existence and sort of what all that means. Well, uh, our team, when uh, it first started, uh, they had a dream, a concept. Uh, there was a franchise year before that had uh, failed and uh, ran to the ground, basically had no support, nothing, had a front office that was not uh, engaged with the community, and it failed, which was horrible for the MLS. But there was another franchise ready. Uh, Mr. Garber got uh, the balls, you know, the wheels rolling, and uh, we started this uh, LAFC um, new team. And uh, they came up with a new concept. Instead of uh, reaching out for the big star or start building uh, a branded uh, team, they started to do, to incorporate this thing called block by block, street by street. And at first, it sounded hokey. Uh, I was like, really, block by block, street by street? You're really going to go? And sure enough, they hit the pavement. Uh, looking for uh, supporters, looking for fans, looking for that person who was not reached out to by, uh, in the past by the MLS, by uh, the Carson Galaxy, other teams, and other things like that. And um, they started off <clears throat> um, with uh, first a, uh, a crest, colors, no team. And they sold you, they were selling you this promise of, a front office and a team that was going to be engaged with the community, going to be one with the community, and that the community was going to help build this team. And they were all about passion. And they kept talking that word, passion. We're going to be passionate. We're going to be different. We're not going to be the same as what you've seen here before in the MLS. We're going to do things uh, thinking of football first and people first. And that's basically how they got started. It was just uh, grassroots is how they did, how they got everything started. I have a question. Um, sure. You know, one of the things that um, I, I helped a guy draft an article for these football times um, about LAFC at just as they were kicking off their first season. And he was from England. He was looking at it from the outside, looking in. Mm -hmm. And he could Google Wikipedia, all sorts of questions about Chivas USA. Where did they go wrong? How do you, you know, as a supporters group, how, how do you as a fan, as a consumer of the sport, you know, the ghost of Chivas USA, we don't want to, you know, dig that up, but I think it's an important element of what people see from the outside looking and maybe from the inside looking outward and even at yourselves, you know, how do you separate from that or do you embrace that history? Is this something that, you know, that was a necessary step so you have what you have today? Does that make sense? It does make sense. Actually, it's a great question because uh, at first uh, a lot of people were resistant to it. They didn't want anything to do with that uh, past franchise and, and what had happened in the past. And it was a great point for other t other people in other teams to attack us. Like, mm -hmm. uh, you're Chivas 2.0, things like that. You're right. just a reboot of the old team. But in the end, we learned to embrace it because it was part of our roots. We had two original supporter groups that came from uh, that team that came over to LAFC and started uh, – the supporter culture in the beginning, which was uh, the Black Army and uh, what, was, what was then called the Union Ultras. They uh, started uh, bringing out uh, what it was, just the, the, the supporter culture and how they did things and tried to incorporate it, but it wasn't exactly what LAFC was looking for. We were more, wanted to be different. And then other people started coming aboard, myself, other, other, other groups. And... Um, we developed something differently. Uh, we wanted to do something different. We didn't want it just to be the fans who cheer when something happens. We bring what's called, uh, uh, and we say in Spanish, aguante. We, in other words, we support for 90 plus. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I, in this first season and in, in the second season, I have yet to see a whole game complete myself because we're always 
facing uh, our supporters. We're always jumping, singing, chanting, and you miss a lot of the game. And uh, that's the element we want to bring. We want to bring support to the club just so they know we're there and we become a part of the club. We're integral. We, we're, we're, we're a necessary, uh, you know, part of the club that just makes people just feel us, you know, like the heartbeat of, of the club. I think one of the things that um, I've seen in successful MLS franchises and unsuccessful ones, I'm originally from Chicago and Sector Latino and, and the front office there have had these, these clashes and it's like a good warning sign or a good blueprint of what, how not to interact between ownership and, and fan. But one of the things that I, I find to be really amazing is there's that, that first year passion and it's a, an extension of the community. How do you, as a representative of the supporters group, maintain that community-based connection with a franchise that has 20-plus owners and from all walks of entertainment, life, the sport itself? How do you bridge that? And what's your, uh, I guess, what have you learned in the first year and going into this year from you know the community, the, the core to what the team is doing and, and all that stuff? What we learned is we have to be honest. We can't uh, lie to uh, people. We have to be, uh, if we're going to be passionate, we really have to be passionate, not fake passion. Not just, hey, I'm here for the beers and here just to hang out and and to be cool and wear nice gear and stuff like that. No, it's actually being part of the community. We, we, Our stadium is in a section of the community that's not the richest community in the world. Um, I belong to a supporter group called District 9 Ultras. The area where we live is the 9th District of Los Angeles. It's one of the poorer parts of Los Angeles, the South Central Los Angeles. It's beautiful because we have the university next to us. We have the stadium. But if you walk across the street, the demographics are just way different. So we decided that, you know what, if we're going to be supporters and we're going to be street by street, block by block, we go out into the community and do real things. We do real things that they need. Uh, what do they need? Uh, do they need um, help with, uh, with, with homework? Do they need, uh, you know, sanitary supplies? Do they need clothes? Do they need... Uh, build help build you a place to play soccer, uh, a park, just things like that. We talk to the community leaders, to to um, local people around, to sit there and say, "What do you guys need from us?" The same thing that the team did to us. The team came to us and said, "What do you we need to do for you guys?" And that's what was. It, it's always easy to be passionate the first year, like you were saying, because everything's brand new. And the second year, we I think we're even more passionate because this uh, this franchise has let us do things our way and the supporter way and to, to let us the supporters and the fans have a voice because it's not just about the supporters and 3252 or sector latino or third rail it's just it's not just about us the great thing is we want everyone to feel part of, of this not just 3252 as an exclusive club we want everyone to feel a part of this because that was what was missing as a person who would go to a lot of galaxy games before uh, i would go over there because i love the sport and I tried to become engaged over there. I tried to be a part of the supporter group. I tried to watch the games. They had stars. They had trophies. They had everything. But one thing they didn't have was passion. There was lulls in the stadium. It was quiet. Not, some people were friendly, but not everyone was friendly. It was a little, uh, they were a little off-putting. It was that little elitist, uh, we're supporters, you're just a fan kind of a thing. You're a casual fan. And that's what we want to avoid. We want everyone to feel part of the team because we need every single kind of fan. Everyone can be the same kind of fan. Everyone can be the kind of fan I am, the kind of fan you are, and we know that. But that's the beauty of our city. That's the beauty of our country. We're different, but we're together. So we have little uh, different supporter groups, but we're one giant umbrella, which is the 3252. What's the, uh, I guess, uh, football makeup or, I don't know, football culture in Los Angeles? And uh, we were talking a little bit before uh, we got going, just the, you know, the influences, right? That you have Latin, you have uh, European, you have folks, you know, from all over the world uh, that have ended up in Los Angeles and, you know, converged together because of the love of the sport that we all love, you know, football, of soccer. And uh, I, I'm curious as to, you know, how would you describe, uh, you know, football and culture uh, in, in Los Angeles? I can give you my story of football and culture in Los Angeles. Uh, it's uh, as a kid, as an infant, 
I remember going to my, uh, I have vague memories of going to football games here in Los Angeles with my father. He would take me to, uh, to the Coliseum to see uh, Pele play in those days with uh, Santos. And they'd play games against uh, Chivas Guadalajara at the Coliseum. And then my father uh, being, uh, my father was an old school supporter back in Mexico. He was one of those old, uh, what they call Barra Brava, sort of, uh, what they call in Europe, sort of hooligans. <laughs> <laughs> he was that in Mexico. And him, my uncles, would always uh, show me that. I always see them. Uh, they're doing all this stuff. They look so cool. They'd wear this cool gear, like I think we were talking about earlier. Some of the stuff I passed on to my daughter, they see him wear this little Stone Island stuff and little uh, different uh, things. And they look so awesome. And they'd always talk about football and passion and this and and uh, they took me, like I said, to see Pele. I'd go see um, Georgie Best when it was with the uh, LA Aztecs and things like that. I'd see that stuff, and they, they were so passionate of the game. And then they'd get that passion and try to bring it into the community. My father was a youth coach for a while and then decided to uh, stop being a youth coach and becoming a, a coach for um, older youth who were uh, in trouble, like uh, guys were either in gangs or people who were maybe had a criminal record and try and bring those kids off the streets and bring them into the pitch. So my father, uh, with limited English, would go to the local parks and recruit kids and try and make a soccer team and get them to play soccer instead of just doing stuff, you know, out in the street and doing bad stuff. So he got a good group of about 20 guys and, and got a team. So they started playing. This was like in the early 70s uh, here in Los Angeles. Uh, soccer was not yet uh, what it is now, and uh, we'd go to he'd go to parks. I remember, and uh, they'd always stop him. They'd start uh, playing little pickup games and little practices. My father would get a coffee can, fill it up with uh, flour, and make little lines. And uh, they'd build uh, little soccer goal nets and just have at it. And then the park guys would come over and say, "Hey, you can't do this. Uh, soccer is not allowed here." And that was strange to my father. What do you mean soccer is not allowed here? Well, you need a permit. So my father would go to these uh, city council meetings and stuff like that and um, go there and, and ask for permits. They wouldn't give him a permit. They said, well, the park is public. You know, go ahead and play unless you don't impede people's, you know, um, joy and, and don't get in their way. So they'd start playing and then they'd stop them because they were afraid of the kids who were playing. They, you know, so they started uh, instead of us. Uh, so my father would, would uh, he got more teams and developed a little league there. And they'd play against each other in these little makeshift uh, pitches in the middle of the park. And he started gathering attention from other people, um, from other leagues uh, around, the, uh, around Los Angeles. And um, he, they started becoming uh, pretty big. And uh, the city noticed this, and they started planting trees whenever were, <laughs> where they would play to stop him from playing. And he'd go to City Hall, he'd fight, and he'd try and... Uh, do the best he could. I said his English was kind of limited, so he didn't exactly have much uh, success in these things. So you get shot down a lot, and uh, I would see that, and it would kill me because I was a young kid. I didn't know much, and I go, why don't they just let my dad play and all these guys just play soccer? All they want to do is play soccer. And he was always vilified. They are always being moved. They had to move to play in, like, in back lots, uh, alleys. Not alleys, but <laughs> like back, uh, parking lots or little abandoned, like a little like sand lots almost to go play soccer. And he made these guys uh, become uh, not just good soccer players, but good people in life, too. And they have that connection with him now. And I'd always see that with him. And uh, he passed it on to me. And what was funny, now when I look back, I go, oh, my gosh, we had such a rich culture here because we would always play pickup games. I think I was telling you earlier, you know, that we'd play pickup games at, at, at birthday parties. I'd see my neighbors. I lived in a community where well, I, I grew up in a community named uh, Huntington Park, which is uh, one of the last uh, communities to be uh, like really diverse. I think we were the first uh, Mexicans to live there. Uh, to the right of me, we had an Asian uh, family. To the left of us, we had a couple, an English family, an Irish family, and a French family. And I thought we were different until one day, I think I was like 12 years old, I noticed that I was kicking a, a soccer ball in my front yard, and then the other kids who were my neighbors came over, and we had a little pickup game just in my front yard. And we were different. Uh, we went to different schools, but the thing we had that was the same was soccer. And they were telling me about players that they knew, like uh, Franz Beckenbauer, uh, Platini. I would tell them about guys that I knew. It's like, it was amazing 
that that's what brought us together. And to this day in the city, we have that. We have Salvadorians, we have Mexicans, Argentinians, we have everything. English, we have uh, Yugoslavians, we have Russians, we have a whole bunch of people here who love this sport and make the sport what it is. And it's a huge underground sport. It's, I mean, it, this, this sport is ready to explode in the city. And the MLS just doesn't know what they have. I mean, it's a juggernaut that's ready to explode here, not just with the LAFC. Let me ask you something. If they had put a team in and it wasn't an MLS, do you think you still would have been really happy? Or did it have to be the top tier to really bring everyone together? No, I, I think uh, something. What, what I was waiting for all my life was, and a lot of us, and this is just, not just me, uh, a lot of people you'll speak to from the 3252 is the same thing. We were all fans of clubs that were thousands of miles away. Right, right, yeah. Like some of us were Manchester United fans, which is the cliche answer always to give. <laughs> but uh, Man United fans, Barca, you know, Real, uh, Boca, uh, you know, Chivas, Cruz Azul, America, you know, Celtic, Rangers, you know, any kind of team. But they were always thousands of miles away. You'd only see them when they'd come on tours, a friendly, it was never a real game. Or you were a fan of a team that was just, the Cosmos, uh, another team. The Aztecs tried. It didn't work, but they didn't feel like they were here. But this club was different. It felt like it was ours because I don't know if you've seen uh, pictures of our stadium when you were watching the, the ESPN thing, if you notice the supporter section, how it's built. Mm -hmm. it's, it, was built to, it was built to our specificities. <laughs> we didn't want seats there. Seat, oh, there's seats there because FIFA says we have to have seats, but they're locked. No one can sit in that section. There's a 34-degree pitch down, so you have a great view of the pitch. You stand, there's rails, and we wanted that. We wanted that for our supporters section, just to, to be our club, and that made, us, made it feel like it was our club. When, every time we talk to the front office about anything, they actually listen, and that makes it feel like our club. The players look to us, they love what we do. Bob loves what we do. He comes over and talks to us and tells us that the, he loves when the, when the game is down. We could be down by two, three goals, but we don't stop. And sometimes he'll still catch himself, but he'll look. Wow, those guys are still jumping and still cheering. Why? You know why? Because this is our club. Like I said, my father has his club. His club is Chivas. My dad is a diehard Chivas fan. That man, I think one day, was riding his bike, fell, skinned his knee, he bled uh, red and white. <laughs> That's how much of a Chivas fan he is. <laughs> Me, it was something I always wanted, my own club, not just to be a Manchester United fan, not just to be a fan, is to have a club that's mine. It took, like I said, I'm 52 years old, it took till 2019 to finally get this. And I feel like I'm brand new again. It's funny because... It, it, to me, it, it's really special because I waited so long. It's just I went through all these clubs and all these things to try and become something to pass on to my son. And now I have something to pass on to my son. My son went to the first game ever you know, at home against Seattle Sounders. And the look on his eyes to see him engaged in a game, something he doesn't do. And we all have kids. We're teenagers sometimes. And you see nothing engages them. <laughs> but to see that kid engaged in that game, and to be chanting and cheering nonstop, a kid who always has his earphones on, is always looking at a screen, to do that for 90 minutes, this is my club. So let me ask you about the, uh, the name. Um, mm -hmm. So a lot of people don't realize what the numbers actually mean. I think you're kind of leading into that point. It's kind uh -huh. of, you add them up and you get 12. Yes. And that's the 12th supporter. And I know a lot of other cities have this element, the 12th man, the, um, and, and I think Seattle might be one of them and, and with the yeah. Seahawks, but I think that element is, is really important, I think, for a budding franchise because the fans don't feel engaged. If they don't feel part of it, I don't think it doesn't matter how good the product in the field is. It doesn't matter how in, uh, energetic the coach is or what moves they make. If there's a disconnect, um, talk about that identity and, you know, you mentioned with your kids and his legacy. I think that's a, a real unique thing because I think it's very easy to go to a game, have some beers, jump around. But I think when you look at the game within the game, like your son pulling out the earphones, looking at the pitch, seeing what's going on, and like that's a different view. You don't, you, that's not on the ticket sale. Like you don't get to 
put a price tag on that. So explain what the name means to you, the number, and then kind of speak to how important it really was to be considered part of the movement. Well, the 3252 is, like I said, it's more than a number to us. It, I, it adds up 12, but what it really adds up to is one. Because during the game, we're not just 3252 people chanting, cheering. We're one stadium cheering. That's our goal. Our goal isn't for us to be the greatest supporter group ever or anything like that. Our goal is to get everyone to love the sport and to, and to be a part of it and to feel part of it. Like I said, it's not that we just want us to be recognized. No, we want everyone to be recognized. And not just Los Angeles. We want the MLS to be recognized. We want this league to succeed. It's one of the things that's important to us. We want to see football succeed here in the United States. We want, it to, we want, to show, we want every fan that comes to an LAFC game to leave thinking, wow, that was, that was an experience. Not that was a game. That was an experience. And that's what we get. We see all the you know, messages on social media and things like that. And we talk to people on the, on the way out sometimes. So I, I make it a point to sit there and catch random fans. Hey, man, what did you think of the game? They never, the, the, one of the last things they talk about is the score. The first things they talk about is, wow, how do you guys do it? Do you guys get paid to do that? No, we don't get paid. It's about the passion. We're passionate for profit. And we, we do this for love of the sport and love of this team. And we want every fan to be engaged. We don't want just, you know, the ones who are sitting with us to, to, to love this. We want the people who are sitting way on the other side watching on TV saying, man, I got to go to that one day. I got to be there one day. And even players, visiting players we talk to, and they're like, wow. We catch them looking at us. So we catch them seeing what we do as a stadium, as a supporter section. But we want everyone to feel part of this team and part of us. It starts in the tailgates, our tailgates. So we make them... We open them up to everybody. We don't sit there and, and, you know, and put fences up and segregate ourselves from everybody. Not everyone is welcome. If you guys ever come down to a game here in L.A., believe me, not just our group, but anyone will greet you guys with, you know, with a burger, a taco, a beer, a soda, a water, something, and they'll engage you and they'll talk to you about the sport. Hey, welcome to Los Angeles. Welcome to our stadium. You know, thanks for coming to see our team. And that goes for all fans, even, even our hated rival, the Galaxy. <laughs> We greet those guys, you know, uh, you know, as fans too. We may not, you know, we may be enemies on the pitch, but we're not enemies outside. We're still people, and that's what we want. We want to make sure that every one of us love the sport. You mentioned uh, earlier about the the club and about uh, you know Bob Bradley and the players and in the in the front office, and I'm I'm curious what that has been like uh, because I I think it is captured, you know, pretty well, uh, in the, uh, you know, we are LAFC, uh, series on ESPN plus, but what has that been like? Because, you know, for folks who might not be aware, um, you know, I think you had mentioned this before Mauricio that, uh, being involved in the process, right. Um, this started well before the first match, uh, a year or so ago. Um, and, and what was that like? And what has that been like, you know, going forward? At first, it was scary because we didn't know if this was going to work. There's always that sense of, wow, is, is this going to work? Is this going to be for real? Are they being honest to us? And again, that was that word honesty. Is We were hoping they were going to be honest with us. And that's what we want, hope. Because that's, that's all a fan, that's all a player has when he hits the pitch or he goes in the stands is hope. I hope we win. I hope we do good. I hope these guys are being true to us. And you know what? They have been. To their credit, everything they have told us, they've been 100% honest with us. And that's all we want. We don't want happy answers. We, don't, we just want honesty. And, and that goes a long way for us. Even an honest no is appreciated because it lets us know that, okay, you know what? They're being honest with us and, and stuff. So when there was uh, no team, nothing, they told us, don't worry. We're going to get football type players we're going to be a, a, a team that's going to engage the community that's going to support its supporters that's going to be fan friendly and that's going to be an experience you guys are not going to believe what plans we have and just trust us and we did and up to now you know they've come true 
look, will it always be like Disneyland here and everything's going to be perfect? Probably not. I'm sure there's going to be bumps in the road coming up one day, but you know what? We're ready for them because they've been honest with us and they haven't lied to us. And uh, as I get, like you were talking about Sector Latino earlier, we, we don't want that to happen here. We want to engage our front office. We want to be, we're honest with them. We want them to be honest with us and we want to work together. And only if we work together can this thing work. And that's, you know, our goal. Let me ask you about the stadium. I think a lot of new teams, they, um, they have to either play in a football stadium with turf or um, they have to share a stadium. I think one of the early signs back in 2014 when this idea became mm-hmm. material was the idea of a, a soccer-specific stadium. And I saw that just from afar, not being from L.A. Uh, or knowing a fan base was in existence. Um, I saw that as a – for any team, that's a sign of commitment that build a – I mean, a cathedral for your for your yes. for your your fans and your in your team to play. Um, so, talk about. I mean, I think a lot of people I've talked to that uh, have gone to a game in, around the, around MLS or American soccer. Once ground was broken to build the stadium, they actually began to see a dream become real. Was that was that the case for for you or for people you know? Was once construction started, you're like, okay this is happening, this is going to be our home. Was that an experience you had? Yes, actually, uh, I knew this was going to be for real when they said that we had an opportunity to play a year earlier and then play in a different stadium. But they said, no, we're going to do this right. We're going to, we're going to play our first match ever in existence in a soccer-specific stadium, a cathedral, as you said. And when they said that, like, wow, they're really going to wait a whole year and not play, wait till the stadium is built to finally play? Because most teams will be like, oh, let's play in the Rose Bowl. Let's play here first. You know, let's just, you know, get our team started. And, and no, they were about the football first. They knew this was going to grow and, and become organic and become something big. And um, they, they made sure to let us know, you know what, no, we're going to play in a soccer-specific stadium because we – want to be legitimate from day one and they've always been. And that's what I appreciate from this team. Yeah. I think, I think I asked that because I see what happens at Yankee stadium. I see what uh, Chicago, um, when we move from downtown way mm-hmm. out in the suburbs and it's a disconnect between fan and culture. And uh, obviously there's a whole bunch of uh, technicality, but you see, uh, I guess the, the horror story of what could happen if you rush something or you, don't have uh, that other identity, which is it's great to have fans. It's great to have games, but you need to have a home. And, I and think that was that was important about the home part is where they built the stadium, because they could have built it anywhere. They could have built it in Hollywood. They could have built it somewhere adjacent to Los Angeles. They were really uh, specific about having it in Los Angeles, and uh, on top of the old sports arena, which is an old uh, venue here, a storied venue here which hosted many teams and, and many events, to have it there next to the Coliseum in the heart of Los Angeles meant the world to us because it made it known to, to us, to the MLS, to the world, that this is LA's team. So you don't have to worry about, oh, hey, we're, you know, we play in another city in Los Angeles. We, they wanted to make sure it was in the city of Los Angeles. And that's what's that's what really important. Again, it's banter we throw with the Galaxy. Hey, you guys are from Carson in the South Bay, way down there not even close to Los Angeles, sort of like the Anaheim, Anaheim Angels and their way down there too, stuff like that. It was important that this team was in Los Angeles, that the stadium was in Los Angeles and in this part of Los Angeles because it is the, the heartbeat of the city is that whole area right there because we have everything. You have the university, you have South Central, you have Martin Luther King Boulevard, which is an iconic street in Los Angeles. You have Exposition, another street, another place. You have the Olympics. You have all this kind of stuff that happened there. And it's so much history in that small area right there that it was important that it was there. What would you, uh, what's your favorite cheer, uh, chant or, uh, uh, I don't know, cheer uh, that you guys have? I'm partial to the Spanish ones because of my heritage 
And because I re- it's those nostalgic things when you remember your uncles, my father in the stands, just chanting, chanting away. But a lot of people love the Jump Rally Football Club because it looks awesome on TV because everyone <laughs> goes shoulder to shoulder and we go side to side, side to side. It looks awesome. <clears throat> Sorry. But for me, it's the Spanish ones because those are, those are the ones that make me remember my father, make me remember my uncles. Those guys used to play in bell bottoms and cleats and muscle shirts who couldn't afford kits, couldn't afford matching kits. There were the guys who had, we go to the local store, the local Kmart in those days and get white t-shirts and get a marker and put a number in the back. And that was, that's how they played. And I used to look up to those guys. And every time we sing these Spanish chants, like the Somos del Barrio Angelino and just things like that, it makes me remember them. Just the beat, the cadence of the way we sing in Spanish in unison reminds me of being that small little kid watching my father on the sidelines. You know, you'd, you'd hear, you know, you hear stories of Sir Alex Ferguson, you know, guys like that, and just sitting on the sidelines with their arms crossed. I see my father. It takes me back to those days when he'd sit there and coach his team and just you hear them, my mom, my aunts, chanting and cheering just in that old way that we do now. And it, just, it takes me back to that time. So for me, every time I hear the Spanish chants, it's like in a, in a time machine and I go backwards. I think that's great. I, I think that there's so much gets gets thrown in and, and labeled as banter, but I think that there's real chance and real connections that I think grip people by the soul in yeah. every stadium. But I think that I'm glad you brought that up. <laughs> One thing you did uh, bring up that I, that uh, I really did enjoy hearing and I was wondering um, was the welcoming aspect of what your supporters group and other supporters group uh, want to uh, be as ambassadors for the franchise because um, you know, just a couple weeks ago, there was a fan that jumped on a field and punched a player and, and, yeah. and and uh, I think even, I mean, I, I, not to put you guys on the spot, but there's infighting in every fan group, right? And you see Always. it on social media. Um, and I think sometimes it's, uh, the uh, passion can be. Uh, it's that it fine line, exactly. Or uh, creating conflict that, or, or, or rivalry that's manufactured. Um, what role do you feel your, your group or you just as a, a love, someone who loves soccer and who has kids, um, what role do you think it, you play, if any, um, to stand up and put a stop to that or to stop that? Um, and I'm not saying you're responsible for that, but just, you know, I think because questions are asked, like, well, they're, they're jumping, they're singing, they're, there's one knucklehead yeah. all doing it. You know, and I think we see this in the social media age. Have you found that to be a, a problem on the horizon or what, what have you in retrospect seen with some of the, the knuckleheads that, you know, maybe your fan group or in, in, in New York or everywhere, really? It's just kind of one of those things that is, is the game gets more popular and fans get more fervent. We're yeah. seeing more of this and it's probably the boost. But, um, but I think there's an underlying element that is present in every uh, uh, supporters group. But it's also present in, in every country. So have you guys had this discussion or? Or, or what? Actually, yeah, we we actually we, we decided to be early on very proactive about this because lucky for us is we there's a lot of us who come from different backgrounds. Like I said, uh, even though I wasn't a a supporter of this club for many many years, I've been in supporter supporter cultures since I've been a kid with my father and my uncles. So I know what the supporter culture is like and what it can be. It can be beautiful, as you're saying, <laughs> but then it can be ugly. There's an ugliness sometimes to the supporter culture. And that's what we don't want. We want to, to bring the beautifulness of the supporter culture, which is the chanting, the singing, but there's always going to be knuckleheads. Right. From day one, there's a horrible ch- a homophobic chant that, that, that's very popular in Mexico mm. and stuff like that. And it's rampant in the MLS sometimes too, especially where, the, where there's uh, Hispanics. And not just Hispanics, but just people, it, they're soccer fans. And when the goal and the goalie kicks off and stuff and the goal kick and they just eh, they just, eh, just you know yeah. shout it out. That was our first item to tackle. We were not gonna allow that chant in our stadium. We got out, got the word out as individuals, we went out and, and informed people this is not gonna happen in our stadium. You know, you wanna fight every fight, but this is the first fight we took on. 
and we got together with the uh, with the local uh, communities, uh, the local gay community. You know, um, we have uh, this this uh, great uh, supporter um, group called the Pride Republic. They were very helpful with us in spreading the word that we're going to stop this chant. It kind of happened our first game, and I go, you know what? This is never going to happen again. It, 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 it felt horrible, and trying to educate people—it's the hardest thing to do, especially like I said, you got knuckleheads who say, no, this is just a part of soccer, this is a part of football, we don't really mean it this way. That word doesn't mean that. Look, it does mean that. Let's not fool ourselves. It, it, it is what it is. It's a hateful word. And we can't just, you know, turn our blind eye, oh, because, because it's soccer, it's okay. No, it's not. The same thing with pitch invasions, things mm-hmm. like that. People who throw cups, people who uh, light, um, you know, flares and things like that. We love that part. We do it controlled. We try not to let people, we let, not let people do it because people could get hurt, people could get burned, and it's a litigious society, so you got to be careful with that too. But we try to educate people, uh, people who get overly drunk, things like that. We try and go out there and try and police it ourselves first before we let someone else take care of because we think of our supporter section as our home, and we want our home to be a fun place but also a safe place. I want, we want it to be a place where you can come and just chant and scream and be as passionate as you can, but you can also bring your son. You can also bring your daughter. You can bring your, your father, your mother. And as long as they chant, they're, they're, we welcome them. And, but we do get out there and talk to people. When the, look, problems do happen, and they've happened to us too. But every time they happen, we tackle them together. We tackle them as a united front. We try not to do things. You know, We, we use a sniper um, analogy. In other words. We sniper things out. You can't just spray everything and just say, all this stuff is not a lot. No, as things happen, we try and, and clamp down on them. It's not easy. And sometimes it's hard. Sometimes it's frustrating because just like it's funny because people say don't mix uh, politics and sports, but politics are <laughs> sports because that culture of the supporter culture is so embedded in some people because they watch green string hooligans for like 20 times Mm. on netflix and now they think they're you know they're hooligans uh stuff like that and they act like it when they come to games some people just come to the game to get drunk and just cause trouble we look out for those people the good thing about us supporters is like like i was saying when you come to our tailgates we greet everybody that also helps us know everybody so whoever's in that section we know we know we may not know your name but we know your face we've seen you so it's easier to police ourselves and it's easier to talk to someone when they kind of know who you are. Look, this is the same guy who handed me a beer an hour ago. Eh, maybe he's not such a bad guy. Maybe, okay, I, I, I shouldn't say the F word so much. I'll keep it down. And it has worked. It has helped. You know, it's easier to talk to someone when you talk to them outside the football setting. And then you talk to them again inside the football setting. It helps us. It helps us cut down on a lot of the, the violence, a lot of the, the bad stuff that, comes with the sport because i love the sport this the sport is means the world to me and but it does have some underlyings of stuff that are not great and those are the things we want to get rid of we want this sport to grow here in the united states and have it be better than it can be because i know it can well i think the the united states can actually lead the way in world football in this regard where we can have supporters groups that are called firms armies hooligans mm-hmm. whatever you want to call uh, I mean, obviously those names are there for a reason, but we can, I think as a, as a people, um, have those names, but not act that, you know, does that make sense? Not it, act it, it does make sense because I think a lot of my friends from England are like, but they call themselves a firm. I'm like, it's, 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 it's bringing together. It's a name, it's a label. But it's, they're not really gonna, you know, use razor blades and, you know, hurt you. <laughs> kind of like, but I think you're right. There's a barrier to entry. I think new fans, they might watch the worst. Yes, exactly. That's, the, the norm and I think I'm glad that you got ahead of it and I, re- I was curious about that because Jason and I were, were, were discussing you know um, social media just got eyes everywhere and it's like wow like people are really charged up how does that happen and I mean it's in, it's in every sport I mean I go to other sports too and it's um, it's an element of, of, yeah. of, of professional sports but or youth sports too could you soccer and jason you can talk about that i'm sure well i i was gonna say i mean i've been to enough uh pittsburgh steeler games uh american football uh to know that um you know i i don't necessarily want to bring my kids uh to those events whereas you know i've been to uh 
enough MLS games to uh, know that, you know, it's an enjoyable experience. We don't have an MLS team here in Pittsburgh, but, um, you know, I, I, it's sort of the blessing and a curse. I, I'm not necessarily attached to any one team or necessarily a supporter of any one team. So I can kind of pick and choose. And do I pay attention to LAFC? Absolutely. Uh, but, you know, I also pay attention to the Sounders and I pay attention to the crew and, and just, you know, more of the, the league in general. So, um, but I, I, what John was talking about, yeah. So he and I were trading messages and, you know, I, I think back to um, Raheem Sterling uh, for Man City when Chelsea fans, I mean, you know, he had scored a goal and uh, he goes over and, you know, the Chelsea fans are just, I mean, saying some very, very, very bad things. And, um, you know, I, I, I agree uh, with what you're saying, Mauricio, that, um, you know, trying to eradicate it uh, is, is a tough job because there's always going to be that one that gives the group sort of a bad name yeah. and a bad you know, uh, perception or whatever. And I guess my question is, um, you know, for folks <clears throat> who may not be a part of the, you know, 3252 or, you know, uh, standing for the match or, or whatever, how have their, I don't, what's their feedback been about the group and, you know, to see this, uh, you know, large portion of the stadium and, and that sort of thing, because I mean, let's face it, right. That might not be for everybody. <coughs> Oh, exactly. We've gotten a lot of, uh, at first, it was a uh, puzzling feedback because they were like, how do you guys do that? Why do you guys do that? Because they're so used to going to Dodger games, Laker games, uh, Ram games, and you don't do that in those sports. It's something that's, you cheer when something good happens. You cheer when something happens, you know, a play, a dunk, a touchdown, something like that, or a home run. But it was like, wow, you guys are, you guys don't stop. And they're like, well, don't you guys want to sit? Don't you get tired? And I go, no, this is, this is w- what we love to do. And we noticed that game by game, it's been catching on in the stadium. We wanted to um, – our goal is to have the whole stadium jump with us and just do stuff, but that's not going to happen. It happens slowly. And we so- it starts with the kids, the youth, because that's our future. We start noticing that the kids start jumping with us. So they may not get the whole chant, but they start jumping. They get the cadence and start jumping. And then now they're starting to learn the chants. Uh, thank God it's social media. We put them out there and they see them. And they start jumping with us and they start getting into it. Then their parents get into it. And then more and more and more people get into it. And it just it becomes infectious. It be, it's organic. And they just love seeing it happen. And just we get nothing but positive feedback from people afterwards. Like, oh, my gosh, that was so much fun. I didn't jump the whole game but we jumped for like 20 minutes and it was awesome. And you know what? And we appreciate that. We don't look down upon them like, oh, oh my God, really? Only 20 minutes? Really? That's all you did? No, because <laughs> that's not who we are. That's what we love to do. But everyone is in us. Well, and that's what, that, that's what we want. We want do what you want to do and come in and have fun the way you want to have fun at the stadium. I, I mean, football should bring people joy, right? And it, it does, uh, yeah. however uh, they express themselves. And, you know, it, it made me think of uh, la- last week I went to a concert uh, here in Pittsburgh and the the range of how people were expressing themselves uh, mm-hmm. at the concert was incredible. The guy next to me was having the time of his life. Uh, me and my eight-year-old son were having the time of our life, but it looked a lot different, right? Yeah. Um, <laughs> The, the folks who were on the floor, uh, you know, not far from the stage, there were people that were dancing and having a good old time. And I agree. I mean, I think that people need to express themselves in, uh, you know, whatever fashion they feel comfortable with and enjoy themselves because, I mean, there's no greater game in the world, right? I, I've said this to, to a number of people that um, when people can experience the joy of football or of, of soccer, their life will change and for the better. And, uh, you know, need to hear that, uh, from, from your perspective. So, uh, one thing I'm curious of, um, is, is a coach, I tend to have rituals that I do on most game days. So I typically have to wear the same thing. I have to eat the same pregame meal. Uh, you know, I always, (laughs) always joke with people that I always have, uh, 
you know, literally every piece of chewing gum from the convenience store <laughs> uh, in, in my pocket. And I, I pace like a crazy man uh, during my matches, even for, you know, youth players. And, and I'm curious for you, do you have any rituals or sort of, uh, you know, pre-match routines that you absolutely have to do, uh, you know, before every match home or away? Actually, I do. It's just weird. It must be the OCD in me or something, man. <laughs> because I, I always have to make sure that I wear um, the correct socks. Uh, as in, I have a pair of light blue socks that I wear, and I always wear that for important matches. And my, they all, my left foot always has to go first. I have to put it on my left foot first and put them on because if I don't, something bad's going to happen. I also have a, a ritual where I try not to, if we won the previous game, I wear the same shoes. So if it's the same pair of Adidas, and I can't wear anything but Adidas to a game, which is weird. <laughs> and it's not because I, I, you know, I'm sworn to the brand because it's not. Again, it's more of the ritual. It's our first game ever. I wore Adidas. You know what? I got to keep it up. So I have to buy a different pair of Adidas. And not new. They cannot be new. I, that's one thing. They cannot be brand new. They have to be worn. I have to wear them for a couple of days and then wear them to the match because if I wear them new, the one time I wore them new was to one of our games and we lost. And <laughs> that's never going to happen again. But my ritual is just light blue socks, uh, Under Armour socks at Ross. <laughs> Let me ask you something about um, identity and branding. I think um, one of the, the cooler things about your team was the, the emblem and the logo and the. Uh. And the colors. So um, I grew up in the Bay Area up north, uh, from Chicago, and I always associated the LA Raiders with NWA, like just like because <laughs> the music video and like they had yeah, the hat exactly. Um, and I think that there's uh, probably some marketing uh, for that going on with LAFC. I don't know what group they would associate with, but there's a connection there um, of uh, people call it. I, I wouldn't use the word hipster because it's not, but there's like a an attachment with the youth movement, and and I love the fact that. They chose uh, gold and black. Can yeah. you talk about what the the branding of, of of the team means, and maybe the emblem, and what you, you know? You mentioned some material things that are are kind of paramount to your experience. Um, have you seen that uh, play out in the, in, with 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 other fans, like they the hats and the and everything else? I think this is a new element. When I was growing up, and I'm sure you scarf was what you had. Yes, and you, you know, like that was all you had. You didn't. Maybe a beanie, but you didn't really have much. Now I think it's like you go on, you go to a store or a line. It's dangerous because you got your credit card. And you're, oh my gosh! Yeah. But I think that there's an element to the material um, connection with the new new era of, of sport. Can you maybe comment on that a little bit? Actually, yeah. Uh, the team was very conscious of uh, of the branding because, of, of course, it is Los Angeles, and nothing yeah. more than LA loves is than a brand. Uh, they were very particular on the logo, how it looked. And uh, they made it into a style art deco sort of to match the city. And they looked for something iconic that, 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 that we could wear uh, because um, the hat culture here in Los Angeles is huge. Um, you see people wear Dodger hats. You see people wear Yankee hats in New York. It's iconic. You, wear, you, you see someone with a Dodger hat, Los Angeles. You see a guy with, you know, with the dark you know, blue, uh, with the NY, uh, Yankees. So LAFC was going after that also. And you see our hat. Our hat says LA with the little wing. I think it says, it says right here, sort of like this. Mm -hmm. And uh, it, you just see it, and it just says Los Angeles. And then, of course, marketed towards uh, our beloved millennials. <laughs> they just picked up on it, and they love the brand. And the one thing we discovered while talking to supporters and other fans was – as they were asking us questions, because a lot of people were new to the, to the supporter culture and to, to soccer itself, they'd see stuff that we'd wear. Hey, where'd you get that? Where'd you get that? And like, oh, well, this is uh, like I have an Elise uh, windbreaker. I have a Stone Island hat. I have this and I have that. And people loved that stuff and they just gravitated to it. And they just picked up on it. It's the urban, uh, the urbanness of our city, like the big cities. They love that culture, the hip-hop culture. They love... Uh, you know, things like that. And they integrated that into the soccer culture, which is the, the thing you, you've noticed in our, in our uh, stands. And not just in our stands, just throughout the stadium. You see different styles. You see a lot of us who like to wear the soccer-specific brands, but then you see other people who wear different brands, like uh, 
more of the I said the hip hop culture. You see people who wear more uh, hipster, more other things. I mean, you'll see a guy who wear, um, which is the funniest thing I saw the other day, is this guy had an Adidas uh, tracksuit and the, the nice hat and everything, and he was wearing Birkenstocks. It's like, what's going on here, man? <laughs> but you know what? He was rocking it. He loved it, and he looked cool, and he thought he was uh, the hippest guy there, and he was, man. He looked good. And that's what we love. We love seeing that. And the community has, has really embraced that, the brand and everything. And the colors, like you said, um, the colors are very L.A. It's weird to say that the black and gold is L.A. because everyone associates Dodger blue with Los Angeles or things like that, or even the purple and gold from the Lakers. But we're starting to crack that little ceiling of, oh, wow, hey, that black and gold. You see a black and gold hat from far away, you get a little smile, you get a little high five. And stuff like that. You see that thing happening in the city now. And that's kind of fun. And I'm glad that everyone just loves the brand. A question that I ask uh, everybody that comes on the podcast. Um, so what are we doing right? And what are we doing wrong uh, when it comes to soccer in this country? And, uh, you know, I, I obviously, uh, you know, you're, you're in a hotbed, uh, with LAFC, but I'm curious that, you know, if you've traveled to other MLS cities and just the general experience that you've seen, um, you know, uh, even in your time as a player, but also for your children and, and that sort of thing. Well, funny you ask that. Cause that's one of my pet peeves here, man. Cause, uh, I love, like I said, my parents are from Mexico. But I, I'm a USA guy. I love my national team here. I mean, I, I bleed for this team, and I want to see this team good. And nothing kills me, the fact that we do not have a better team here. Because we have the athletes here. We have the people here who love this sport and who can play the sport. We need the MLS. We need everybody to reach out into the communities. And not just the communities that are affluent, but the other communities within our communities to reach out to them and reach out to these kids and show them the sport. Not just tell them, here, here's some soccer balls, have at it, but give them real instruction, give them real coaching, nutrition, teach them the, the history of the sport, that there is a history of the sport. This isn't just something new that, hey, we just want you to play soccer because it's the coolest thing now. No, it's, this is a sport that is more than a sport. Unlike baseball, unlike football, unlike the other sports, this is a sport that, becomes part of you and uh we have communities here who are hurting who would love this sport i mean even here in los angeles we have uh it's such a big city but we don't reach out to enough communities even within our city to get them to play to get someone to play because once you start playing the sport you realize wow this is more than a sport and like i said i, I wish the united states would invest more money into younger players and to uh, start them early, we some, we wait till they get, you know, in high school and college. Start earlier. Start these kids out earlier. Teach them the sport, and not just as in just grab the bit the kids that are great and just and and use them. But all the kids, you never know who you're going to find. I mean, there's so much talent in this country, and it's untapped. They go to other sports instead of just coming to the sport where we could dominate. I mean, you could really dominate the sport in in this country. We have the resources. We have everything. All we're missing is the will. Once we have the will here, once uh, the United States Soccer Federation gets the will, first of all, they got to pay their female uh, athletes uh, fairly than the, than the male ones too because those women are amazing. They're the better national team, and they're underpaid. We need to get, them, get that squared away, number one, and that's step one. Step two, reaching into the inner city, reaching into the other communities, and Accepting the diversity of this country and bringing everybody in, and man, we could, we could, we are on the cusp of becoming great. Like it's not going to happen overnight, but I believe that it's going to happen, and I know it's going to happen because I believe in us. I believe in us as a culture, as a country, as a team, as a league, and I know this is going to happen. Also, I think, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I'm like. Yep, I agree with that. I agree with that. <laughs> it's, it's funny that you mention, um, you know, we have everything. I, I think I said something similar to Jason Warren, which is like, yeah, we, we have. If we decide to be a soccer power, we could do it. We just, yeah. it just, it's about energy allocated to the right places. And I, I'm glad that you uh, 
we share a similar vision, I think is probably a common theme, Jason. <laughs> no, we well, do. <laughs> John, I was going to say, uh, I'll, I'll swing through uh, St. Louis and uh, I'll pick you up. I'll see you in, in Los Angeles. Uh. <laughs> you guys are always welcome. You guys will always have a seat. Anytime you guys want to come out here, you guys will welcome you with open arms and great food, great soccer. We have so much to see here. I well, can use some sunshine, so... <laughs> <laughs> So uh, before we let you go, my, my son asked me at dinner tonight. Um, he goes, uh, do you think that uh, Mauricio knows Carlos Vela? And I said, well, I, I don't know, but I'll do my best to ask him. And uh, so in the, uh, in the digital world we live in, uh, he is a fan of Carlos Vela. And uh, as, as he should be, he's a, he's a damn good footballer. But um yeah, so he's sleeping right now, my son. <laughs> I don't know if this will be part of the podcast or not, but uh, yeah, I, I'm sure you've probably had interactions with some of the players, and I'll uh, I'll pass this on to him tomorrow morning. So yes, I do know Carlos Vela. Um, uh, we're not like uh, Facebook friends, but uh, I think we're I think we follow <laughs> each other on Twitter though. <laughs> he's nice. a nice guy. He's a very nice guy. He's a quiet guy, but a very humble guy which is surprising um, for a guy who's such a great player for uh, all he's accomplished in, in the world of football to be such a humble guy and a guy who knows the sport. And uh, he's also very um, honest and very, um, I find him very, uh, his quietness is what makes him, I think, great because he's a guy of few words, but the stuff he says, man, goes a long way. And he, his mission this year, is to make LAFC a champion, to get trophies, and to be a better player, and to also raise the MLS. He came here with a mission, not just to win a trophy for, for LAFC. He's one of these guys who thinks bigger picture. He didn't come here to retire like other guys, <coughs> Ibrahimovic, um, and things like that. <laughs> he came here to lift his league up because he sees the potential in this league, and he's talked about it, you know, that this is stuff that, can be big and this is the next big um, league there's the, you know the EPL is going to have their time everybody in the Bundesliga is going to have their time one day the MLS will have its time and I it, uh, hopefully it's in my lifetime in our lifetime but that's his goal to promote this sport and to make it better to make it greater not just for us but for everybody but he's a nice guy but tell you what uh, text me your address uh, stuff. I got a little gift for your son. I'll send him something uh, f- uh, from Carlos Vela. Uh, wow. Maybe not personally from him, but I'll try and get him something. I'll make sure that happens. Okay. Uh, yeah, I definitely can uh, can do that. If uh, Mauricio, if folks want to connect with you in uh, thirty two fifty two, how can they do that? Follow us on Instagram uh, thirty two fifty two. Uh, we're on Instagram. We're on Facebook. Also, we're on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me m twenty eight blue at uh, is my uh, handle on twitter uh you can follow me on, on uh instagram same thing m28 blue uh i know it's weird to have m28 blue but it's one of those old school uh handles that i've never changed you think i'd have something fancy let's call it lafc something but no <laughs> just a regular guy <laughs> and uh yeah follow us uh be happy to talk to anybody anytime you want to talk to sport or anybody wants to come down here and experience lafc you guys are always welcome anyone's welcome anyone listening stuff like this um, all your listeners, come down and experience us when we're away, when we're home. Open arms, man. That's what we're all about. Good deal. Well, uh, I can't thank you enough uh, for your time and um, just a, a fantastic conversation. Um, and yeah, would love to have you back on the podcast sometime in the future. And uh, I do hope that we have a chance to all three of us to meet up sometime in person. That would be uh, uh, that'd be a lot of fun. That would be awesome. Uh, believe me, it's, it's, it's a genuine invitation. Drop me a line. Uh, come down. We'd love to have you guys, and we got to make the sport better. And I love what you guys are doing in your podcast. I did go back and listen to a lot of your podcasts. I didn't just come in here. Good stuff, man. I even learned some stuff, man. Uh, it was really uh, nice listening to you guys, and you guys are doing an amazing job. Okay. Keep it up, man. Got much love for you guys. Yeah. Well, uh, I appreciate that. And uh, John's been a fantastic addition, and um, he's got uh, – he, I, I joke that John's the brains of the operation because uh, – <laughs> he asked the, uh, the, the really, you know, journalistic. Yeah. Yeah. You know, he's, he's the Jim Acosta. All right. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> there you go. Sounds like we know what we're doing. We really are just, uh, 
I mean, Jason and I, we, we're actually looking to learn as much as, as anything in these types of things. I mean, it's every podcast I'm a guest on or I help host, I learn like just a, a million things that I was like, wow, I never would have thought that or I never would have, you know, known that if I just, you know, look at social media for what it is, you know, yeah. so it's good to have real conversations, honest conversations. So um, I just want to extend, you know, my gratitude for, you know, you taking the time and um, I love what, you know, we see and. Um, I, I would really like to experience uh, what's going on out there. It's cool. So would love to have you guys out. And thank you guys very much for inviting me, man. It was it was an honor. And you know what? And it was also a pleasure. My sincerest thanks to Mauricio Facio for joining John Townsend and I in the latest episode of the On the Touchline podcast. And Mauricio, uh, John and I have already talked about making a trip to LA just so we can experience uh, some of the pregame and during the match culture and even some of the post-match culture uh, that goes into an LAFC football match. So hope to do that sometime in the future. As a friendly reminder, you can support this podcast in a number of ways. So by sharing episodes out on social media, that truly means the world to me when you do that. And if there's an episode that you enjoy or a part of an episode that you really like, please tag me at any time on uh, Twitter or Instagram. And my handle is at soccercoachjb. And please, if you'd like, feel free to follow along. Um, I'd love to follow along in your soccer journey as well. It would also mean the world to me that if you listen to the show on Apple Podcast. So we're available on 11 different podcasting platforms, but the most significant of those is Apple Podcast. And go to Apple Podcast, find the show, just type in on the touchline in the search bar, or if you've subscribed to the show, just click on it, and leave a five-star rating and a review. And you might be asking yourself, why in the hell does Jason ask me to do this every episode? The more and more people that like and leave ratings for the show, the more folks in the soccer community can find out about the work that we're doing. I sincerely appreciate all the positive feedback that I've gotten, that the podcast has made a little bit of a difference in your life in a very positive way. And I can't thank you enough for that. It really means the world to me. So please share it out or go and leave a rating in a five-star review. All right, that is all for this episode of the On the Touchline podcast. Until next time, I'm your host, Jason Broadwater.